0: Now just to catch all the rest of you up who are not the youth group, John is writing this letter, if you didn't catch that by the title. Now John would have been writing this letter at 90 years old. So he was a young spry chicken, right? But he's lived a lot of life at this point, right? He's seen a lot of things in his lifetime. John was the last living disciple and everybody was saying, John, write a letter, tell us about Jesus, tell us what you saw, tell us everything. And John wrote his gospel and he gave us seven succinct points of why we need to believe and then he wrote this letter and then he proceeded to write three more and then he wrote Revelation. So you can tell, people were pestering John, write us more stuff, we want to hear about Jesus and then he wrote Revelation. He was like, this is it guys, this is it. This is the end of the world, no more letters. (laughs) (laughs) But he was writing this at 90. And so just kind of think in the back of your head, I mean, we just watched uh, last Wednesday, we watched a documentary about Chuck Smith. So just think about Chuck Smith when you're hearing this uh, letter here. Grandpa John, he's gonna talk like Chuck Smith, right? And there are going to be a lot of words of wisdom. We already heard a lot of them already as the youth group. We talked about the word of life. We talked about walking in the light. We talked about Christ being our advocate. And John, here in chapter 2, is pivoting from what he's just been talking about, which is really the love of God. Even though this whole book, or letter really I should say, is about the light But what is light except for God? And who is God except for love? And the love of God is perfected in us as Christians when we decide to follow after him. Yes? And this is also gonna be a a really good comparison of good versus evil, truth versus a lie. If you look back at verses four through six, You're gonna see what we're supposed to look like. And we're supposed to look like what we follow, right? Your teachers teach you how to do things by example, right? If they're a good teacher. Otherwise, they're just gonna say, do this. Don't do what I do, but do this. That always confused me as a kid growing up. That's probably why I didn't like school very much. (laughs) But you cannot give something that you do not already have yourself. Have you noticed that? Even out there in the world, people will say, oh yeah, we need to do good things, we need to do good actions for all of those people, but they don't have the source, and so it always ends up falling flat on its face and the money gets used for something other than helping the people and it just really goes into the politicians' pockets, right? So they don't understand what it means to actually do good just for the sake of doing good. It's always to make a dollar, right? But we as Christians are supposed to constantly get closer to the Lord, not closer to anything else in the world. And the way that you can identify somebody as a Christian is their walk. What does that mean? Their walk. We say that all the time. That's Christianese for someone's actions. The way that they live their life, right? The youth group is going to catch this. Ducks imprint on people. A baby duck is going to look like the mother duck eventually. The duck is going to follow that duck. Has anybody, you know, seen the ugly duckling? (laughs) You know, the goose ends up following the duck and looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, but it's a goose. But guess what, it looked like a duck. We are men and we are following after God. So we're not supposed to look like other men that is supposed to really wake us up shake us up we're supposed to be following jesus first what did paul say he said imitate me as i imitate christ and john would have read that letter and he would have said hey that's pretty good i'm going to steal that from you paul and i'm going to use that in my letters but we are supposed to be able to say imitate me as i imitate christ we And I know it sounds really scary, right? A lot of you are like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't want them to follow after me because I'm a sinner. Well, so was Paul, right? Remember Paul's life, his whole testimony. He wrote that, and he was probably like, man, I really hope they don't say, you know, I got knocked off my donkey, and then I got my act together. Like, I hope they remember that I was trying to do what was right. But no, we don't, right? Because we only remember, hey, this is who Paul was before, but now he's a different person. Now, we're not supposed to follow Paul from before he got knocked off his donkey, right? We're supposed to follow the new Paul. So, someone that doesn't have the same actions as Jesus, you could even put in Paul's name in there, but claims to follow Jesus is a liar. Do we call them out? Or do we just hold that understanding and know that that person is probably not someone I would like to imitate and I'll just imitate this other guy that is actually doing it right. Sometimes we do need to take action. Sometimes we do need to tell people, you are not actually walking right behind Jesus. You're walking on your own path, and it's going to lead you somewhere you don't want to go. We don't have to do that every time, but sometimes we do. How do we understand the difference? The Holy Spirit. We need to slow down. We need to not be so quick to act. A lot of times we like to think that we know the right answer right there in that moment, but sometimes if you pray, the Lord will say, don't worry, I've got this under control. Let them get to the end of themselves, and then they'll find me. Sometimes my big mouth gets in my way. I don't know about you. You don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) But being on the wrong path, or following behind somebody that's going down the wrong path is dangerous. Saying that you're in one place going to this next place and being in a completely different place is dangerous. Sometimes it can be fatal. When uh, over the summer, well really over the fall, I guess I should say, I went to Colorado and we went on a hunting trip. and We were out in the wilderness. We were supposed to be following a singular trail. It was called the Hunter Creek Trail. Now there were two trails. One was called the Hunter Creek Trail. The other was called the Hunter Valley Creek Trail. One led down the river. The other went up the mountain. (laughs) Two different locations, miles apart my party and I took the valley trail. Our folk that uh, were coming behind us followed the correct trail that was not our trail and ended up somewhere very different. (laughs) Just imagine that same thing. Jesus is walking down this trail and I'm saying hey I'm gonna be following Jesus and I say it's gonna look exactly like this and yet Someone else tries to follow me because the trail just has a little bit different marking on it. Very, very slight one-word difference, and yet that could be the difference between life and death. That's not to say, if you're not perfect, that you're no longer a Christian, but it can be dangerous. Do you want to be out by yourself in negative one degrees temperature? I promise that's the last time I'll talk about Colorado, but (laughs) it can be very dangerous. But we have an advocate, right, youth group? We have Jesus. We have someone that will speak up for us that, like Life Alert, they'll come and save you. (laughs) They'll find you. Someone to speak up for you when you can't speak yourself. I know it sounds really silly, but that's who Jesus is. He is our life alert. We can just cry out to him. Doesn't matter where you are, he'll find you, and he's not that far away. John opened up chapter 2. He said, my little children, and I want us to remember that when we are going to be reading through verses 7 through 17. These are going to be heartfelt words. These are going to be the words of a grandpa. These are going to be loving and affectionate words. These aren't going to be harsh truths. And John does tell us, at a few different times, why he is actually even writing this letter in the first place. And he has three different points. John tells us that he is writing this letter that our joy may be full. That's the first one. The second reason why he's writing this letter is that you may sin not. And the third reason that he is writing this letter is that they may know they have eternal life. And the progression is necessary for our sake. Why do I say that? Because you cannot be happy if we are living in sin. Right, youth group? You have guilt. It makes you feel bad. But once we are in heaven, we will finally attain what we are striving toward, which is point number two, sinlessness in heaven there will be no sin amen that's what we're looking forward to and point number three it will be perfect not only will it be a sinless eternity in the light of the world but God is going to be there and he casts out all all sin God's consequence for sin is death Romans three twenty three, because it is not the perfection that God intended The Trinity made a way for man to be reconciled to him, and just like the progression of the reasons why John was writing this letter, Jesus submitted to the Father. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work of ministry. Jesus himself did nothing before receiving the Holy Spirit. Remember that. All right, now that everybody is caught up to the rest of the youth group, let's move on to verses 7 through 8. John writes, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. We're going to pause there for just a moment. Beloved, can you just feel the emotion of Grandpa John right here? Ah, little kids, I love you guys. But what are we talking about here? What commandment are you talking about, Grandpa? Love, right? What is the most important commandment? Jesus said, Love. And the second one is just like it. Imitate what you see from Jesus' life of love. What is love? It's selflessness, it's sacrifice. It's obedience. Why is that important? Because love changes everything. Your purpose changes why you do things. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 without love, I'm just a clanging cymbal, I'm just making noise, right? Read that on your own devotions. It'll change the way that you talk to other people. Because if you're actually loving them, you're going to make a difference. But when did it change, Grandpa? When did it go from the Old Testament to the New Testament? At the cross, right? And not only at the cross, by itself, right? Because if Jesus died, and that was it, it's a terrible story, right? That's what we just learned on Sunday with Zach. Well, the other Zach. If Jesus died and stayed dead, we have no more hope than anybody else. But in fact, Jesus did rise from the dead. And not only did he rise from the dead, but he ascended up into heaven very shortly afterwards. And that's what changes from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The Old Testament was looking towards their Messiah. They were looking towards Jesus. And we, in the New Testament, we get to look back and we actually get to put a name to the Messiah. Right? That changes everything. They didn't know who they were looking towards. There's a painting in Rome, and it has a faceless person. It's called the Messiah. Now we get to actually know the name, at least, of that person. That changes everything. If you know who you're looking for, it's a whole lot easier to find them, right? (laughs) And what changes? What changes exactly? Hope, right? We can trust that the sacrifice was taken by god himself because jesus rose from the dead the resurrection happened easter sunday he is risen and so how does that change our lives because we do believe this right or do we just say that we believe it if jesus didn't rise we are of all men most to be pitied but in fact he did rise and so we need to tell everybody else because if that changes everything then i'm i'm supposed to be living differently than everybody else remember jesus's sermon on the mount matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 14 and then verse 16 you if you're a christian are the salt of the earth but if salt has lost its taste how shall its saltiness be restored It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before all men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. If we are salt and light, what does that do? salt and light amplifies what is already there It doesn't change anything it just accentuates the details doesn't change the essence of a thing but if the salt has lost its saltiness it's no good you throw it in the garbage you throw it out the old testament commandment that is brought into new light through the revelation of the New Testament truth, the the part of darkness is passing away. The darkness is passing away. Because we have the Holy Spirit. Darkness does not go away by itself, right? I had a great illustration prepared for everybody, but we're not going to be able to do it. If you turn off the lights, the darkness comes in. But, as soon as you turn on the light, what happens? The darkness runs away. Amen. You can see that outside, too. After the sun rises, guess what? There's light. Sure, there's shadows, but the shadows hide, right? They run away. Amen. The true light is Jesus, right? We know this if we're Christians, we've seen it, because we will no longer just stumble around in darkness. We'll be able to follow him. We'll be able to see what we're supposed to be doing. In the youth group, we used a flashlight, right? The Old Testament is just a flashlight. It shows you what's right here, right in front of you. I'm looking towards the Messiah. But after you get the cross, that just turns on the lights. makes it a whole lot easier. You don't have to think as much. Holding a flashlight is a lot harder than just being outside in the daylight. Jesus changes everything. The darkness has to hide. The darkness cannot chase away the light. That brings us to verses 9 through 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What John is communicating here is that we need to be genuine with where we are. Don't lie to us because we can tell it's not true anyway. Not to mention Jesus knows. He's God. He knows everything. When you see somebody walking in the darkness, they go slower. They reach out in front of themselves so that they don't hurt themselves. They're gonna be more careful. They're gonna be more uncertain. They're going to, it's going to make walking a more difficult task. Walking in the light is very easy, right? And light is necessary for eyesight. Light makes everything easier. If you can see where you're going, by contrast, instead of having to walk around and kind of feel out, have you ever, Walked up to a step you know in the dark you kind of like do that little uh, where is it but in the light you just go you just do it think in terms of an olympic sporting event think about these athletes that are pushing themselves to the very extent of human capabilities they are doing that in the light but think about how much more difficult it would be if they had to compete in darkness can you imagine everybody just doing this and seeing who can do it fastest. (laughs) It would be a mess. If you love your brother, you're not going to walk in a way that's going to hurt someone else. And you can see that in just that illustration. People trying to run in a straight line, but if you're doing it in the dark, you're gonna end up hurting somebody If you hate your brother, you're not going to know where you're going. You're putting a blindfold on yourself. We as Christians, we get to turn the lights on for other people when we introduce them to Jesus. We have no power in ourselves to turn on the light, right? But when God comes into somebody's life and they're able to finally see and they can see all the depravity in the world, they're not going to keep living the same way found it very funny somebody asked me hey can i do fill in the blank sin if i'm a christian and i said let's let's talk about jesus first do you know who jesus is and then we'll we'll talk about this sin that you want to know about that conversation ended very quickly once they actually knew jesus that question of can i sin goes away very quickly when you look at the cross and you see the savior beaten and bloodied for every sin that we have made alongside everybody else. But when you put that whip in your own hand it changes a lot. If you think about your Savior and you're like I'm going to sin and you have the whip in your hand and you still say that you love Jesus, it's gonna break you. That's when you're gonna come to a point of decision. But If you love your brother, you're going to tend to the wounds. You're going to be that Joseph. You're going to ask, can I take down his body? Can I dress it? Can I bury him? Give him at least some decency as a human. That's what love is. The centurion that saw and admitted, this is the savior. He saw the other ones who were mocking Prophesy, who hit you? As they punched him. Hated the brother, right? And then we get to verses 12 through 14. I know I'm going through those verses quite quickly. But verses 12 through 14 is actually a poem of sorts. Might even have been a song to help people remember. Grandpa John says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one." This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our evening tonight, is about the difference and the progression. Children, your sins are forgiven. Doesn't that just make you smile? Those of you who have kids already, you already know about this. But you get to forgive your little kid when they come up to you. Mom, Dad, I'm so sorry. I broke the vase that was $1,000 or whatever it is. (laughs) What did you do? It's okay, it's okay. I love you more than I love, whatever the material thing is, right? We, We don't care about the material things, we care about them, right? Children, your sins are forgiven. We love little kids, even when they do things wrong, right? And we want them to learn, yes. Okay, next time when you're playing with the ball, Don't do it inside. And they'll learn, and they'll do better next time. And we forgive them no matter how many times it takes. Right? Peter asked, how many times do I forgive, Lord? Seventy times seven? That's a lot. And Jesus said, no. Do it until you can't count anymore, is basically what that passage is. He gave him an impossible number to keep track of. And isn't that what we do with our children? How much more... Does our Father in heaven forgive us for our mistakes? Is there a limit? No, absolutely not, right? Yet in the same moment, we teach and correct and they learn to do better next time. So does the Father with us, his children. He is going to lead us, not in darkness, right? He's going to show us the way like a teacher does. And then he says, I'm writing to you, fathers. You know him who is from the beginning. And this is really an interesting passage because there's a very Trinitarian language that's going on here that you can really just skip over if you don't pay close attention to it. And who was from the beginning? We know this was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it is also an interesting tense, and I know... I'm gonna sound really boring, but this is gonna talk about the life experience and having the evidence that God has come through in the past and so we know that he will come through in the future. If you don't know, children and young men and women do not have as much life experience as fathers, right? And that's huge because in our culture, we for some reason despise growing old it's resisted in every way this culture was very much the opposite old age was revered respected because you know more than i do and so i will listen to your sage wisdom there is a very high importance of having history to look back on you learn from stories you learn from testimonies you have proof tangibly, in your memory, that you're able to pass on to the next generation. We would never have gotten to where we are today without those who have gone before us. We, as a church, need to revere old age. We need to rescue that. We need to be able to come up to our older men and women in the church and say, teach me, show me how you have learned to get to where you are, because... You have more life experience than I do. How pitiful would it be going back to that Olympic stage for someone in their eighties to be competing? That's not where they're going to shine, but remember in the karate kid, Mr. Miyagi, he became the mentor of the next generation. And although he did it very unorthodox, right? He was able to teach the next generation the fundamentals. And then, to go to a completely different movie, we laugh at Uncle Rico, right? He is trying to rescue, you know, how he was back in the old days, back when I was, you know, the high school quarterback. I could throw it over that mountain. Of course, that's a lie, but he's living in his young men's age in an old man's body. We need to be able to move on from being a child to being a young man to becoming a father. There is a necessary progression. So we get to the young men. And I am a young man. (laughs) So I like this part the most for myself. Young men, you have overcome the evil one. That doesn't just rear you up then you're not a young man <laughs> you've overcome the evil one basically what he's saying here is you won the battle and a lot of us are like I didn't even fight right but we have overcome in Christ Jesus because Christ won the victory already he said on the cross to tell us to die, it is finished there's nothing else that needs to be done so we already won the battle But there are still spiritual battles to be fought today. And this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time here. The spiritual battles that we fight every day, do not take them lightly. We have to be ready, right? We have learned about the armor of God when we were little kids. If you don't remember, there's a song. You can go look at it on your own time. But you have to prepare before a battle right? And it was very silly when I was growing up to think about the story between David and Goliath. Saul is trying his best, right, to prepare David for the battle. He's like, hey, you already know you need all this, that, and the other thing to get ready for this battle. You are not going to be able to survive in your loincloth and a slingshot against a giant, Sorry, David, I know you're really excited, but you're just going to die, man. Please don't go. And David said, my God is bigger, basically. And he just went out, and you can just tell he's praying, and so is the rest of the army of Israel. They're like, oh, my goodness, why is that kid going down there to fight the giant? We're all terrified, hiding, and he just goes. And you can just kind of see the army just watching, just like, what's going to happen? And he goes and he prepares but he prepared a lot differently right he picked up three stones you all know the story he killed goliath but then not only did he do that he cut off goliath's head that's what we skip in a lot of the children's stories (laughs) but let's go back we're going to come back to the young men a little later but the children they know the trinity They know God the Father. They know God the Son. They know God the Holy Spirit. But specifically, they know the love of the Father because they see that in their parents, right? Children run to their parents. Anytime they're scared, they're going to run to the Father. They understand that their father or their mother have more power than they do. They're able to do more. And so they have a clear attachment to their parents. It's going to be very easy if you look at the little kiddos that are running through here to identify who their mother and father are, because they'll run up to them. They're not going to run up to strangers, unless they're Ben. (laughs) But then the fathers in this passage know God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, who is from the beginning. This is all about repetition so that you remember. But fathers know for a different reason. Fathers know because they are trying to do the exact same thing that God the Father is trying to do with us. God the Father is trying to train us and our fathers were trying to train us when we were children or even young men. And as a young man, a lot of times we can resist. Can we not? You don't have to raise your hands, but young men are so strong And it's uh, commended here in this passage, but sometimes our strength can get the better of us. We can think we're too good in order to get any correction or constructive criticism. But that's not what we're here to talk about tonight. You are strong, and the word of God abides in you. You have overcome the evil one. Young men have a lot of strength, and that is a good thing. If a young man has strength. Now, we don't necessarily talk about wisdom. That belongs with the fathers. But when the strength is directed in the right way by a father who has the wisdom to know where it goes, the strength becomes much more productive, much more useful. So, to all my other young men and women, what are your strengths? Let's not Focus on our weaknesses as much. Let's amplify and focus our energy into our strengths. What are the strengths of a young man? Faith. A young man has not lived so long to where uh, it's, it's probably going to fail, you know, nothing ever is going to work out right. You know, the world is a really tough place. No, We don't know any of that yet.) <laughs> No, we're just going to go out and we're going to go all the way to California, right? The Oregon Trail. That was young men and women that just said, look, I'm just going to go for it, man. I don't care what's here already. I'm just going to figure it out as I go. And a lot of people didn't make it, but they, they learned. They learned. And now there's a lot of people that are all the way out in California, and they are doing a lot of good right? Silicon Valley, that's where the, all of the new things are coming out. Because that same mentality, hey, we're just going to figure it out as we go along, that's not a bad thing. That's what brought me down to Alabama. I said, the Lord said go, and I said, aye, aye, captain, you got to figure this one out, because I can't. I am 18 years old, and I don't have a job down there secured. I trust you, Lord. And he came through. I'm still here today. Praise God. Young men's faith. It's just unparalleled. And a lot of us, as older, as we get older, we can oftentimes say, oh, you might not want to do that. You might not want to do that. But if any father is in here can attest, you got to push a little bit, right? Go try, go do something, make something of your life, right? Or else you'll just be in the basement forever. You're never gonna do anything risky because you've always been told, no, 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 it's too dangerous out there, you're not ready. Sometimes you just gotta go out and do it even if you're not ready. So what are your strengths? Play to those. Let someone else strengthen your weaknesses. Don't think you have to do it all by yourself. If the word of God abides in you, you're not going to do anything by yourself. Go seek the Lord before you go out in faith, if you're going to call it faith, to actually get an answer from the Lord. Don't just say, I trust you, Lord, and jump off a cliff, because the Lord might not be telling you to do that. But if you look back at Psalm 119, this would have been the ABCs for the Hebrew. They would have known this from a very young age. They also would have been taught the Torah from the fathers teaching the children to grow into young men. They would know these things. They would know the prophets. They would know the songs. They would have familiarity with God from a very young age. And if you haven't noticed yet, I'm going to give you one drop of knowledge that all the fathers already know. But this is for all of my young men and women out here. You can be good at a lot of things, or you can be great at a few. If you haven't noticed that, you're gonna learn. You can be good at a lot of things, or you can be great at a few things. There's only so much time in the day, and you don't get any refunds when it comes to time. Once your time is spent, that's the end of the line. You cannot buy more time. That's the one thing that is more precious than gold. Young men have a tendency to believe they will never die. They will never have any consequences. So they take more risks. We tend to think that everything will just work out. It's just gonna be fine. We tend to just do and think about it later. And then hindsight is 2020, and we go, cool. I should try to do it this way next time. That's a huge strength. You learn that way. But trust me, a person who has too much knowledge about how to do a spiritual thing correctly will never accomplish it. Oftentimes they won't even begin the task at hand. Young men's faith is unparalleled because we haven't learned how tough life can be. God uses that faith. It's a huge strength. So next time that you see a young man saying, I believe God, fill in the blank, encourage them, launch them, do as much as you can. Don't try to slow them down. Remember what Jesus said about how much faith it takes to move a mountain. It only takes a mustard seed. A mustard seed is just a teeny tiny bit. And he said, you have overcome the evil one. I love that part. And we all enjoy a good hero story. We enjoy the hero saving the day. And as a young man, we want that story to be about us, not someone else. We don't want to read about someone else's accomplishments. I want to accomplish this. To overcome the evil one, excuse me, there must be a battle. You will miss 100% of the shots you do not take. You cannot see, succeed. If you do not make an attempt, remember March Madness, all the 16 seed teams, they come in and they don't try, right? They just say, I'm definitely going to lose against the number one seed. <laughs> we saw that this year, right? Not at all. They come out and they give it everything they've got. That needs to be us as Christians. We don't get to say, ah, oh, we'll, we'll win this next battle. We don't have that luxury. You are not promised tomorrow. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, Paul said, I run so that I can win the race, not just participate. Paul's saying, I work hard in this passage. I discipline my body and keep it under control. Go read that verse in context. It's literally talking about spiritual matters. It's not talking about an actual race. It's talking about saving souls. And isn't that what we want to be doing? Don't we want to be saving souls instead of just living life? Going through? Knowing that we're going to make it to heaven? How selfish is that? I'm going to make it to heaven. I want everybody to make it to heaven. So does God. He said, I am not willing that any should perish. But that all should have everlasting life unfortunately though our society has been telling us to go straight from being children to being fathers young men need to rein in not take so many risks you'll embarrass yourself but remember about jonathan and his armor bearer do you all remember that story did god allow them to be embarrassed what makes us think now that we've had, you know, 2,000 years afterwards, uh, he's not going to show up like he did for Jonathan and his armor bearer because times have changed. Has God changed? No, God has not changed. If anything, we have more power now that we have the Holy Spirit. Jonathan and his armor bearer did that before the cross, before they could pray to Jesus and say, Lord, Be an advocate for me. Should I do this or not? They were like, It might be, so I'm gonna try. That's what young men ought to be more like. But it takes all three in the church. It takes the fathers teaching the children to grow into young men who will turn into fathers. But what is your role in the church? Are you a child? Are you a young man? Or are you a father? Embrace it. Don't wish you were at a different place. Children, make sure that you learn so that when you become a young man or a young woman that you can have that faith in order to go and actually move a mountain. Know who God is. Learn from your mother and your father. Trust those who have walked before you. Look at where their footsteps landed. Because out there, it can be like a minefield. If you step in this place, it's going to end badly. That could be the slippery slope that takes you down a path that you don't want to go. Young men, don't put down the children that are in your life. Focus on what you can do for the Lord. Go out and have a ministry. Have a testimony. Don't just live life and play video games all day. Go out and make something of yourself, go and be productive, go and just try, do something. And all the fathers will all say, you will never regret going and doing something because you'll learn from it. You'll have a testimony to give to the next person that's going to come after you. I'm not there yet, so I don't know it personally, but I have it firsthand from a lot of sources. If you don't have very many stories, you'll become a broken record. You'll only have three stories and people eventually will stop listening to you. They'll already know what you're going to say. Have some stories. Go out and just try. Even if it ends up failing, God didn't fail you. But before you tell yourself that it's going to fail, you have to try. Don't just give yourself an excuse, don't just give yourself an out. This message is for all the fathers. Disciples make disciples. We don't get the luxury of having one person doing it all. If you are a father, grab a disciple. That can be a child or it can be a young man. But don't be a gatekeeper. Be a shepherd leading them out into the pasture. Moving on to verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world. I could stop right there. Or the things in the world. I could stop right there too. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do not love the world. (laughs) I wish it just had an exclamation point right there, and then it just did a capital O. Do not love the world. This is only a fragment of the perfection that God truly intended. Remember the Garden of Eden. We can't even really imagine it in all of its splendor, and all of its glory, because all we know is crabgrass. We don't know what it's like to be able to walk barefoot because we're just going to go, ow, oh, ow, rocks. But the cool thing that we have in this passage is that the darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining. What is the darkness? That's the curse, the capital C, curse of sin. That's passing away. Why? Why can you say that, John? Because the true light is already shining. Where the light is, the darkness has to flee. So, Grandpa John, what's the true light? Well, that's a trifold answer here. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's God the Father teaching us His Word, teaching us to be more like Him. It's God the Son giving us an example to follow. That way we know how to, that it was done right one time, so it can be done right a second time, right? And then we have the Holy Spirit who is helping us actively as we walk. The next part of that verse is, don't love the things in the world. And that can sound a lot like what we just said, but it's very different. The things inside of the world They try to take you away, but they're just bland tastes compared to what will be in heaven. If you've forgotten, we've been talking about what heaven's going to be like on Sundays. Heaven's going to be awesome. I don't know about you, but I've been really enjoying those. There's going to be rainbows and things as bright as diamonds. There's going to be feasts. There's going to be enjoyment. And you're going to have purpose but you're going to have all of that without sin? Come on, let's go. I love it. And the next part of the passage is kind of not so exciting. If you do, if you do what? If you do love the world, if you do love the things that are in the world, the love of the Father is not in them. We need to focus more on the promises of god we need to focus more on the finish line which is heaven rather than the race itself which is this world you won't remember the pain of this world you won't remember all the sacrifices that you had to make you're not going to regret that you didn't make it to susie's party but you will remember the glory or the lack thereof If you have ever run in a race, you will remember the end, but there's what's called runner's fog. You won't remember the middle. I used to run in cross country and every time people would be like, how was the race? I was like, ah, it was pretty good. (laughs) Couldn't tell you. I just remember finishing and then just collapsing and saying, please give me some water. And the best races are the ones that matter. Conferences, conference finals, states, the championship, right, everybody just watched March Madness, right? The final, the game, the buzzer beaters, right? Everybody remembers those, but do you remember the layup, you know? Second period? Probably not. It wasn't super flashy. It's just fundamental. Two points. Great job. But guess what? The whole thing matters. So it does matter how you run the race. But you're going to run your race better if you're not focused on just what's right here. If you're actually focused up here, you're going to run better. The Holy Spirit is alive and well. He heals the sick and when you can remember that everything that's going on around you just kind of fades away goes into the background when a person is striving for first place second place only ever feels like if only maybe if i just trained just a little bit harder if i had stayed 30 minutes more every day at practice If I had pushed myself just a little bit harder, did one more rep, did just a little more, I might have gotten to first place. Someone that leaves it all on the line and achieves the prize, they will glory in that. They will hold the trophy high. Second place will hold their trophy close. When you, Christian, get to heaven how would you like to be accepted would you like it to be with great joy celebration and a well done my good and faithful servant how do we earn that we have to live our lives in accordance with scripture make disciples reach the lost we need to have the love that god has for other people without being drawn into to the same things that they're doing and save them from it. We need to introduce all of those people to our Savior, Jesus. Do not strive to fit in. If you fit in in jail, you're probably not going to get out. (laughs) But if you come in and you give them the answer, they can come out. All that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from, and I'm going to put this in parentheses, it's from the curse of the fall when Adam first sinned. It's from sin. And the world is passing away. We can celebrate that at least. At least it's all going to be rectified. At least there's an answer. At least we know there's a conclusion. At least we know that it's not always going to be like this. At least we know this was not what God initially created. It was just us making mistakes. At least we know that judgment is coming. And for some, that's going to be the scent of life. And for some, that's going to be the scent of death. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's an amazing promise that we have there. All we need to do is abide. And what that term means is just to rest. Just rest in God. He's going to help you do everything that you need to. There are going to be times when you need to make actions. But the ultimate promise that we have, if we do abide in God's will, is heaven. So remember your goal. Remember your purpose. There was a quote, and I don't know who it was, so this is an unknown quote. But it said, stamp eternity on the back of your eyelids so that when you close your eyes, you can see heaven. If that doesn't give you an image of what you're supposed to be doing in your life where every time you close your eyes you think of heaven that's going to change the way that you live your life the end is coming and there's a lot of people that have a lot of different things to say about it but our version is 2000 years old and a lot of people are just copying us And we are going through Revelation on Sundays. can't imagine a better book to be doing right now. But just remember, we are sojourners here in the world.